Well, hello. Hello, Matt. Um, so, if you've been with us for a while now, we have been working through the book of John. Um, and last week, Andrew took us through the death of Jesus in chapter 19. You know, right at the end of Jesus' earthly mission, where he gave up his last breath. Um, Jesus fulfilling scripture right down to the last promise and prophecy. And then he gave up his life. Today, we actually continue through his burial and his resurrection. Um, so when looking at today's passage, uh, it would be really easy to jump to the main event, the empty tomb um, that we find at the beginning of chapter 20. Um, the pivotal moment of the Christian faith, and forget actually the end of 19. Um, but in doing that, we actually miss something really great. So we're going to keep it pretty simple and we're going to move through the text starting at 19 th- um, chapter, chapter 19, verse 38. So if you have um, a device or a Bible that it would be great for you to look at, Um, If not, it is on the screen behind you. And it says, Later, Joseph of of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus bought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds, Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So here we meet Joseph of Arimathea, and we actually become reacquainted with Nicodemus, both influential Jewish men. In this period of time, Jesus is dead. His enemies appear to have won. His friends seem to have scattered um, and they're in hiding and, and darkness looks like it has triumphed. It's afternoon. Joseph and Nicodemus are in a hurry to bury Jesus because it's also the day of preparation before Sabbath and Sabbath is coming. Darkness is falling. John describes Joseph of Arimathea as a secret follower of Jesus who feared the Jewish leaders. Well, other other gospels describe him as just a rich man, a respected member of council, um, who also was looking for the kingdom of God. And regardless, it was clear that he was a really influential uh, man. Because of his influence and position, Pilate actually said yes and um, and and granted Jesus' body to, to Joseph. Nicodemus, we've actually met earlier. He was a Pharisee and a, me- and a member of the Sanhedrin and mentioned in three places in the Gospel of John. The f- in, he first visits J- um, Jesus in chapter 3, um, where he came to Jesus at night uh, so that no one could see or overhear their conversation. Um, it's in this conversation that Jesus actually talks about new life, new birth, um, and then we actually meet him again in chapter 7, uh, where we read that, G- that Nicodemus, functioning at, as a member of the Sanhedrin, uh, actually stands up for Jesus on a point of law and he gets mocked by other fellow Jewish leaders. Um, it's, in this, it's in this thing that we actually see Nicodemus. And then thirdly, we find him in this passage at the burial. You know, Way back in chapter 3 when 
um, he's talking to Jesus. It's the part where Jesus actually says, you know, John 3.16 just happens just after it where he says um, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in me will have eternal life. This happens just after that conversation. Nicodemus was really wealthy and very important, but his faith was really private and really hidden. Um, Both of them were wealthy. Both of them were influential Jewish men. And it's at this point that they have absolutely nothing to gain, (laughs) earthly to gain, by actually claiming Jesus and everything to lose when you look at it in the eyes of the world. According to the other gospel accounts, Joseph, not only um, only was he wealthy and influential, but the tomb was actually his. He owned it. It was brand new, never, ever been used before. And John actually makes a point of pointing that out. It's a brand new tomb. Um, and, and, And in pointing it out, he wants us to actually understand that there's no mistake. There's no mistake. There's no misunderstanding that this tomb has never been used before that there's no confusion around what is found later on in in the passage when the tomb is found empty, that this tomb had never, ever had a body in it before. But it's also not just about convenience. It wasn't just his, wasn't just in a garden. Joseph, in in the fact that he's using a new tomb, is saying, hey, Jesus is actually special. There's something about this guy that's different. It's a way of actually honouring Jesus. You see, in... (laughs) Um, reading this chapter, I actually did a lot of reading about tombs and burials. And so here's a bunch of information about a tomb. But a tomb was designed to be used several times, often simultaneously. And burial customs at that time required a two-step process. Um, so you didn't just bury once, it ha- it, there's another process. So the tomb was, would have been carved out of rock with two narrow ledges um, inside on which bodies would have been placed. Um, they were big enough for two or three people to move around inside, uh, but they would have had a really small carved entryway. As I mentioned, the tomb would have been used, could have been used simultaneously with one body in the process of decay, of decay um, when the need to bury someone else arose, hence the two ledges, and the need for perfume, spices and linens. The bodies were wrapped in linen and spices um, to stop the stench, the smell of decomp, of, I can never say this word, of, we'll just call it decomp, okay? Not pleasant, it's pretty gross, yeah? So when you think about it, one body could be in decay and then they wrapped it up so to, to prevent the smell in case they had to go back in and put another body in the tomb. Pretty gross. A heavy stone would secure the tomb and it would roll into a groove in the front entryway. And then, when the decay and the decomp had finished, um, they would go back in, hence the two-step process, and they would actually collect the bones and they'd put them in a special box, and that special box would either go at the back of the tomb or it would actually be stored somewhere else in a secure location. Um, And then uh, the tomb could be used again. Uh, This tomb was in a garden nearby and it had never, ever been used before. There was no other body or bones or linen cloth other than Jesus' very own. John wanted us to know and make it really clear. There was nothing else there other than Jesus. So here we have Joseph and Nicodemus using their resources to bury Jesus. It's significant because of their influence and position. Um, The perfume Nicodemus bought uh, 
to the tomb was extremely extravagant, around about 30 to 34 kilos of perfume. Um, it would have cost around a year, the average year's wage for that perfume alone. Uh, it was a hundred times the amount that Mary poured on Jesus at Bethany. It was the actual quantity that, quantity that you would use to bury a king, a royal burial. So, he, so you know what, Mary, she caused heaps of controversy when she poured that perfume over Jesus and anointed him at Bethany. Um, the wastage of money, her, per, her perfume, um, was, contest, was contested by the disciples. They weren't happy about it. And yet we ha- here we have Nicodemus bringing a hundred times more to actually anoint Jesus at his burial. Joseph and Nicodemus, their fellowship was no longer secret. The fact that they claimed Jesus' body and financed and conducted the burial, the extravagance of the perfume, we see a desire in them to actually honour Jesus. And in the act of the burial, they move out of darkness into the light. Their faith becomes public. It was no longer a secret that they were followers of Jesus. Nicodemus literally moved out of darkness into light, only visiting Jesus previously at night. You know, after, after that first conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3, John actually writes this. He, he says, um, But whoever lives by truth comes into light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Whoever lives by truth comes into the light. Nicodemus moved out of the darkness and into the light. So they had, no, they had everything to lose in the, in the eyes of the world and nothing to gain. So was it worth the risk? Following Jesus, was it worth it for them? Coming out of the dark into the light. You know, there was something about Jesus' death that motivated these men to actually claim Jesus. Jesus, you know, they knew Jesus. They'd seen him in action. They'd heard his teachings. They'd probably seen his miracles or heard first-hand accounts of his miracles. Um, and all those things did nothing to actually motivate them to, to publicly acknowledge Jesus. And yet there was something in Jesus' death that actually prompted them to acknowledge Jesus. Um, you know, there's something about the cross and the crucifixion that motivates people. You know, everything seemed lost. Everything seemed hopeless. Jesus was dead. It looked like Jesus' enemies had won. Their faith and, and their faith and acknowledgement went from private to public and in a very significant way. They buried him like royalty, basically announcing that Jesus was the king. And whether they did this out of guilt or out of outrage over what their fellow Jews had actually done to Jesus, um, or maybe, you know, it was out of a deep love and respect. The cross changes people. The cross changed Nicodemus and Joseph. The crucified Christ changes people. Joseph and Nicodemus's private faith become public. You know, Jesus died a criminal's death, in between criminals, but he was buried with honour as a king. In the way Joseph and Nicodemus buried Jesus, they declared, here is the king. He is worthy of our honour. He is worth our everything. This may cost us our influence, our standing, our business, our relationships. But by stepping out of the darkness into the light, following Jesus is more than worth it for these guys. Darkness descends 
Sabbath begins. Jesus is in the grave. Light to dark. Way back in Genesis, chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was. Creation took darkness and chaos to light and divine order. Darkness to light. Here we have the grave. We actually have the reverse. Light to darkness, chaos. In the very beginning, in the very beginning of John's Gospel, he begins his narrative with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Not, without him nothing was made. That has... Hang on a sec. With him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. In the grave, the flesh is dead. Darkness. But wait. It actually says that the darkness has not and will not overcome it. Jesus is in the grave. The long rest of the Sabbath is coming to a close. A new day is, is actually breaking. Dawn is on the horizon. The flesh may have died, but darkness does not and will not ever overcome it. If we move into chapter 20, it starts with this. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where, where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then Jesus went back to where they were staying. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So it was the first day of a new week. It's still dark. 
First, uh, dawn's first light is approaching and John's theme of darkness and light actually continues. Mary, the first apostle, the apostle to the apostles, um, discovers the empty tomb. She is the first to see and actually bring news. She's the first person in the coming chapters that Jesus actually reveals himself to and the first person that he actually speaks to. Mary, of course, in her confusion, her distress and her upset does not understand what is happening and runs to see Peter. It seems like there's more chaos. But that empty tomb, what it announces and signifies is that with the new dawn um, breaking, the world is actually turned a corner. We're in a whole new time um, frame. Jesus is no longer dead. He is risen, and as the sun rises in the morning, bringing light to the day, breaking through the darkness, the risen Christ also brings light, defeats the darkness, subdues chaos, and a brand new creation is birthed, new life. The flesh may have died, but the dark di- darkness did not and will not overcome it. See, hearing Mary's news, John and Peter run, which somehow John turns into a race, by not only pointing out that he's the one that Jesus loved, but he actually points out twice that he got there first. John, observing from the outside, finds the tomb empty. Not only is the body not there, but it actually looks like someone's unwrapped him. And in typical Peter fashion, he rushes straight into the tomb. And then John finally cautiously follows him in. It says a lot about their personalities, I think, this little chunk of scripture. Um, inside, the, they only find the linen cloth. And on closer inspection, it actually doesn't look like someone unwrapped him. It actually looks like his body has disappeared. He simply disappeared, leaving the um, empty linen. John and Peter do not as yet have the whole picture like we do. The last resurrection they saw was Lazarus. And Lazarus had to be called out of the tomb by Jesus. And when he came out, he was still wrapped in linen. He needed someone to actually help him untie himself from um, the cloth, to help him out of the complicated wrappings. John sees the cloth and something actually gives him hope. Something clicks into place for John and he believes. There is nothing about scripture at this point that helps him understand what truly happened. But he sees something and he believes. He has hope. He knows that this resurrection is different. See, when Jesus raised Lazarus, Lazarus returned to his present life, his old body, where one day he would actually still die again. Jesus was raised with a resurrection body that is no longer subject to death. Jesus had overcome death and into life beyond, where death is now defeated. A new, life in all exist, uh, a new life in all its fullness exists. Restoration to the Father and life with him eternal. Life with God. New creation. Jesus is alive. John sees the linen and he believes. Even though he had no understanding, he believes. There's something about what is happening that clicks into place for John. It makes sense. Sandra... Anyone who doesn't know Sandra, this is Sandra. Um, during the week, we were, to- we were chatting, and she pointed out to me 
The significance of location. Location, location, location. Well, you know, um, when you think about it, when you look at God's narrative, in the beginning, creation happened and then there was a garden. And in the garden, we see disobedience and we, we first see sin. I think it's pretty significant that right now we're in a garden. You know, Jesus was buried in a garden and in the garden we see restoration, new life, new life with God. You know, with the empty tomb, not only is there redemption of sin and restoration, but there's a whole new brand new creation. The end of 19 and the beginning of 20 goes from what seems like the end, no hope, to a new beginning. The start of the new and it all begins with the empty tomb. You know, at first light of the first day of a new week, a new creation, new life, darkness is overcome and light reigns. We live in such a time as this. This is a time that we live in. Second uh, Chronicles 5 puts it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to him in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, but he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The old is gone, the new is here. The old is gone, the new is here. Through Christ, we actually get to participate. We get to participate in the new. The empty tomb is central to the Christian faith. Everything in Christianity rests on the historical truth that the tomb was empty, that Jesus rose again. Without the resurrection, the Christian faith collapses. The empty tomb, the resurrection, resurrected Christ, is the centre of the disciples' witness. You know, it's the eyewitness report that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did. It's the first day of the new week. First light is breaking. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. Life to the full. Through Jesus, this is what we actually live in and get to participate in if we so to, to choose. We get to celebrate and honour that as God's people together, and we actually get to carry that to others. You know, as we kind of wrap up today, um, my prayer really is that you'll be encouraged by John's narrative, that there be something in it that encourages you um, about your own walk with Jesus and the empty tomb and what that looks like. Now, maybe it's um, for you, it's Joseph and Nicodemus. Maybe like them, there's a challenge in it. Who in your world knows that you follow Jesus? Maybe the challenge is that you need to acknowledge Jesus and in doing so, honour him. What would it take to make your faith public, to bring it from darkness to light, to be bold and make your faith something that people know about, whether that's at home, whether that's at school, whether that's in your workplace or even socially? Maybe for you today is the day that you decide that your faith is actually moving from private to public. And in doing so, you say, this is my king. 
and, and you can then um, encourage others to do the same. Is the risk worth it? Absolutely. Maybe for you it's the understanding that we actually live in the new, that God has been weaving his redemptive story throughout history. And with the empty tomb, we actually see the world turn a corner. We are living in a new time frame altogether. Brand new. And we're actually privileged to live in it. We have the whole picture of the resurrected Christ. And we get to actually experience it, participate in it, and actually share it with others. Maybe you're sitting there here today wondering, what is she talking about? Brand new life, public faith, darkness and light. Um, and if that's you, I'd love to chat to you afterwards. Or maybe like you, maybe for you, you're like John, where something just clicks into place today and you actually go, you know what? There's something about this Jesus guy. Something is starting to make sense. And if that's you, I'd also like to talk to you um, later today. There is something about the empty tomb the linen there that just clicks into place for John. Maybe that's you. The empty tomb gives us a brand new creation. And that's available to us here and now. Jesus once and for all has overcome darkness. Light reigns. And we actually get to be a part of it. Which is pretty exciting. From, from the death of his flesh... And then his resurrection, the new is actually here. The old is gone, and how good is that? The new is here. And we actually get to celebrate that as his people. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you are a good God, a God who knows us, who sees us, who chooses to actually allow us to participate with you. Um, Lord, I just want to just bring you honour today and say that you are our King. And that absolutely it is worth following you and putting our trust in you. And I just really pray that we'll be people that are like Joseph and Nicodemus, that we're bold, that we can um, claim you publicly and that we can do a really good job of carrying your story to others. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the new. I thank you that we see the, get the whole picture. And I just really pray, Lord Jesus, that as your people, that we will bring you honour and glory, that we'll be people that worship you well in all aspects of our lives and that our, our love and our excitement for you um, will, be one of, will be what we actually carry into every facet of our lives. We thank you, um, we honour you and we just thank you for your empty tomb, Lord. Amen.